0: Especially in understanding our covenant today. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 8 through 17, we get kind of a summation. The Davidic covenant is interesting because it's kind of scattered throughout different parts of the Bible. But this gives us kind of a summation. 2 Samuel chapter 7 starting with verse 8 says this, now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever." According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Now already we're seeing some uh, overlap between the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. Indeed, this is an extension, like the Mosaic covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant, and that the major promises given to Abraham are confirmed and amplified to David. Now the chief promise of the Davidic Covenant, and indeed kind of the, the impetus of the whole covenant, is the promise of kingship. Now kingship was promised all the way back in the Abrahamic Covenant. In Genesis 17, 6, we see to Abraham that kings would come from his loins, that kings would descend from him. In Genesis 17, 16, uh, we read the same thing of Sarah, that kings would descend from her. In Genesis 35, 11, uh Jacob is promised that kings would descend from him. And in Genesis 49 verses 8 through 12 to Judah would be given the scepter of kingship. In the Mosaic Covenant, the qualifications of the king were revealed in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 through 20. So in the Abrahamic Covenant, we see that at some point in time, God was going to establish a kingship amongst his people, Israel. And in the Mosaic Covenant, he further qualifies that by saying, this is what the king is going to be and do. This is going to be the qualifications of the king. And so, in the Davidic Covenant, we see that realized. The kingship is promised in the Davidic Covenant uh, we read that all the way through 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 132, 1 Chronicles 17, Psalm 89. It appears that kingship was always God's plan for Israel, but Israel demanded a king before God was ready to give it them. Okay, In the time of Samuel, when they were asking for a king, it was a period of judges. In 1 Samuel, we were still actually in the book of Judges. Samuel was a judge, and his children were set to inherit the judgeship after Samuel died. Unfortunately, Samuel's children experienced moral failure and lost the confidence of the people of Israel. They didn't want his children to rule over them, probably for good reason. But they responded incorrectly in that they asked for a king instead. And they wanted a king not because they felt like it was the plan of God, but because they wanted to be like the other nations around them. That's why they wanted a king. Maybe they were a little bit embarrassed that they didn't have a an executor kind of government like the other nations had. In any case, God warned them what would happen if they received a king now. He warned them. And their response was, yeah, 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 yeah. Just give us a king. So he said, all right. God chose a man according to their standards. A man who looked apart. Head and shoulders above. Broad. Manly man. He looked like a king. God chose a man outside of the ruling tribe. He chose a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Not Judah. It's interesting. Israel entered the promised land 40 years late because of unbelief. In this particular case, they were given a king 40 years early because of unbelief. It was never God's plan to establish his kingly covenant with Saul. It was his plan to establish that covenant with David. The words of the covenant. Though the full words and details of the Davidic covenant were not given until David was anointed king over all Israel, certain words of the promises of his kingship were given at periods of time before that. We see in 1 Samuel 16.13 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David the shepherd after Samuel had anointed him to be king. In 1 Samuel 21.11, the man of Acus spoke of David as being the king of the land. Jonathan knew also that David would be king over Israel in due time. We read that in 1 Samuel 23:17. In 1 Samuel 24:20, 20, King Saul himself declares that, "I know that you're going to be king over all Israel." Second Samuel chapter 2 verse 4, the men of Judah came and anointed David king over the house of Judah. And in second Samuel 5 verses one through 5, seven years later all the elders of Israel anoint David as king over the entire nation of Israel. The promises of the covenant. And again, these are kind of scattered. 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, Psalm 89, Psalm 132, and Jeremiah 33. All contain different elements of the Davidic covenant. He receives a promise of blessing. Promises of blessing. The first promise is an appointed land. First Samuel, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 7 and 10 says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. So the promise was that they would be established in a land of their own. That they would not be moved any more. And they would not be afflicted any more by other nations. That is exactly our promise today. Right now, we're pilgrims, sojourners, wayfarers in a strange and fallen place. But someday, we're going to a land, aren't we? We, like Abraham, look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There we will be moved no more. We will be afflicted no more. Amen. David was promised victory over his enemies. 1 Chronicles 17 and 10 says, And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee an house. This is an extension of the Abrahamic promise of possessing the gate of our enemies. Just reconfirmed in the Davidic. David not only recaptured territory that had been lost during his reign, But under David, Israel possessed finally all the land that was originally promised to them. Since the time of Joshua crossing over the River Jordan, they had not yet fully possessed the land that God gave them. Under King David, they finally did. This promise is not only still in effect today, but has its most potent form under the New Covenant to include principalities, powers, sin, death, and all the power of the grave. We have power over all of that through Jesus Christ. Amen. David was promised a ruling dynasty, dynasty. however you want to say that. Second Samuel 7 verses 11 through 16 states, And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. I don't know how many more ways he could say that. That his ancestors, I'm sorry, his descendants would stay on the throne. This is also an extension of Abrahamic promises of kingship. Under the Abrahamic covenant, God chose a nation. And from that nation, He chose a tribe, Judah. Under the Davidic covenant, God chose a family. The lineage of King David. Now, we find, interestingly enough, that once the nation of Israel split into Israel and Judah... Exactly zero kings of Israel were of the Davidic line. We also find that every king that ruled in Judah was a descendant of King David. David was promised the sure mercies. 2 Samuel seven fourteen and 15 says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him. With the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul whom I put away before thee. And again, those same mercies are ours today, perfected. The messianic seed was promised to come through him. First Chronicles seventeen fourteen says, But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forevermore. This is yet another extension of the Abrahamic covenant, that through thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This promise was confirmed in later writings. Isaiah 7:13 and 14 says a virgin of the house of David would bring forth Emmanuel. Jeremiah 33 and 15 says a righteous branch would be raised up to David. Matthew 1 and 1 says Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham and the son of David. Jesus is the root and offspring of David, as declared in Revelation 22.16. And Isaiah 9.6 and 7 says that Jesus is to receive the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Jacob forever and that his kingdom would have no end. The terms of the covenant. The first one is faith. Faith. We see that after receiving the covenant words from the Lord, David worshiped God and believed all of his words. Faith is one term. The next is obedience. God's testimony concerning David was that he was a, quote, man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will, unquote. And if a descendant of David disobeyed God, God could transfer the throne to another of the seed of David as he warned Solomon. Second Chronicles 17, verses 12 through 22. So, obedient faith was required. There was an oath given. The Davidic covenant was confirmed with an oath. Psalm 89, verses 3 through 5. And thus, it was to be irrevocable. God promised to chasten David's descendants for disobedience, but he would always remember his mercy toward the house of David. His mercies would never depart. And there would always be someone from the Davidic line on the throne. That, of course, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The blood of the covenant. Concerning David's relationship to the Mosaic covenant versus the Davidic covenant. There were sacrifices. Now, we're going to see a lot of parallels between the Davidic here and the Abrahamic. I'm sorry, the Mosaic. The Davidic and the Mosaic. Under the Mosaic covenant, David could not offer the compulsory offerings. He was not a priest. He was not of the house of Levi. He was of the house of Judah. Therefore, he was disqualified from offering these offerings. However, under the Davidic covenant, he could and did offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise, as well as the Mosaic voluntary offerings. We see that he did both. In relation to the priesthood, David was not qualified to be a priest under the Mosaic Covenant. Again, tribe of Judah, not tribe of Levi. Under the Davidic Covenant, he acted as a king and priest. We'll see more about that in a moment. In relation to the sanctuary, David did not forsake the tabernacle of Moses being under the the Mosaic Covenant. But he also established the tabernacle of David in Zion under the Davidic covenant. The tabernacle of Moses, being under the Mosaic covenant, having to do with the priesthood. The tabernacle of David, under the Davidic covenant, having to do with the kingship. The sacrifices of the covenant. Under the Mosaic Covenant, David offered to God voluntary burnt offerings and peace offerings when bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, as was meet under the Mosaic Covenant. He also brought spiritual offerings. The offerings of of spiritual sacrifices, praise and worship, thanksgiving, which he did under the Davidic Covenant. David was the mediator of the covenant. He was not a priest after the Levitical order, but he did act in the order of Melchizedek, king and priest. David wore a linen ephod in 2 Samuel 6 and 14. This was a priestly garment and symbolic of righteousness. Only the priests were to wear that. David offered priestly sacrifices before the Lord, 2 Samuel 6:17. David officiated in pronouncing the ironic priestly blessing upon the people in the name of the Lord. We see that instituted in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 27. We see David doing it in 1 Chronicles 16, 1 and 2. David set up another tabernacle and placed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord in it. 1 Chronicles 16 and 1. We read in Psalm 132.17 and Luke chapter 1 verse 69 that David's horn was to be like Aaron's priestly rod and the Lord would cause it to bud, thus combining the king, the horn, and priest, rod, in the person of King David. Now we see through these things that things are kind of being set up for our final covenant, the one that we're under presently. The Levitical priesthood, though David left the majority of the Levitical priesthood to minister in the tabernacle of Moses, according to the Mosaic covenant, he also appointed a great number of priests to minister in the tabernacle of David, according to the Davidic covenant. This company of priests was under under the leadership of Kenaniah, the master of song. (laughs) The sanctuary of the covenant. David established his tabernacle on Mount Zion. And from this point in scripture, Zion carried a twofold significance. One, it was the city of David. It became the capital city, the governing city of the nation, and the city of the throne of King David. This foreshadows heavily Zion, from which Jesus rules and reigns over his people. And we start to see this more and more as we progress through these covenants. As we approach our present time, the covenants start coalescing more and more. They start the the vision that they're trying to represent We can see it a little bit clearer. The throne from which Jesus Christ rules and reigns now is in the heavenlies. In the millennial reign, he will rule and reign from Jerusalem, physically, from Mount Zion. Zion also represents the tabernacle of David. Zion was also a sacred city, the religious capital of the nation, not just the political. It was here the Tabernacle of David order of worship was centered. He established an entirely new order, an an entirely new uh, way to interact with God. And that was through worship. Before that, their worship consisted of feasts and sacrifices. They would bring a sacrifice to the priest, and that was their method of worship. They didn't really have a what we would consider a one-on-one relationship with God. They had a relationship as a nation. The Lord was in the midst of His people. But as far as having an individual relationship, that really didn't exist. We see it in, in individuals. So we know it it could have happened, but it generally didn't. And so, under the rulership of King David, and under the Davidic covenant, we see something way different, a new mindset, a a new way to interact with God. And that is through worship and praise. That an individual, we see this in King David, it is reflected in King David. That his relationship was... With God was was very real. It was very personal. We see it all through the Psalms. That he loved God. He loved his word. He had a, a relationship established with God. Not just through sacrifice. Not just through uh, the feasts and, and the festivals. But it was an ongoing personal relationship. And we even see that. Maybe the most poignantly. When David failed morally when David failed there was a, there was a sacrifice prescribed under the Old Testament law that he was supposed to bring the, sac, the the priests would offer the sacrifice and he would be forgiven we see no record of him doing that what he did instead was he repented before God He repented. And I heard one preacher say that God literally stepped out from that dispensation and entered this one to forgive him. That hadn't been established yet. God forgave him because he repented of his sin. He didn't go through the, the, the full Mosaic law. He came to God directly. And that was a new thing. That had established something different. That was the Davidic covenant. Together with both throne and tabernacle, Zion also demonstrates the bringing together of king and priest and pointed to the new covenant where we are both kings and priests. And we're going to see this in the new covenant that... All of these things, the Edemic, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, all of these covenants, are going to be rolled up into one. It's kind of like uh, all of the the covenant names that they had in the Old Testament for God. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sitkenu, Jehovah Shalom, all of these names were different aspects of who God was. But today, we just call His name Jesus. Jesus wraps everything up. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our hope, our joy. He's everything. All of the covenant names wrapped up into one. And all of these various covenants and, and all of the aspects of them are either completed Fulfilled or realized in this new covenant. It's a beautiful thing. And understanding the various covenants and how we got to this place, how the Lord brought us from the fall in the Garden of Eden to this covenant that we enjoy today. It's a fascinating process. It's a. The process causes us to realize a few things. One, how merciful God is. God is the one reaching out to us. We are never the ones initiating a relationship with God. Nowhere do we find in Scripture, and nowhere do I find in in anyone's personal experience, that they initiated a relationship with God. Now I've heard of people saying that they felt like there was more out there and they went searching. That's the case in my life. But that wasn't me instituting a relationship with God. That was God drawing me. That was God wooing me. Like He does with all of us. So we find in these various covenants, these various dispensations, these methods that God established to interact with people. That he is merciful, that he loves us, and that he desires a relationship with us. Another thing we realize is that without God we are utterly without hope. Because in every instance, in every dispensation, in every covenant, we fail. We fail. God gives us every possibility, every opportunity to make it. But we never do. We always fail. Every dispensation, every covenant ends in judgment. The Edemic Covenant, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. In a way. The flood, the mosaic, the diaspora, they were kicked out of Israel. This covenant, too, will end in failure, and it will end in judgment, the last one. But God is merciful, and He is gracious, and He continues to reach out to people. He continues to reach out to us. In every one of these covenants is built, He builds into each one of these covenants a plan of salvation. That's why He establishes the covenant, so that legally we can have a relationship with God. That's His desire. That's that's why we were created, was to have a relationship with Him. That's always been His desire. And to do that, this gulf of sin needs to be taken care of. God will not exist where sin is. So His righteousness has to be satisfied. He put in... Let's call them temporary measures to get around that until the fullness of time. We see the greatest realization of that under the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant, where through institutions, institutional sacrifice through the the Levitical priesthood, we could roll these sins away. We could roll them forward and have a relationship in the meantime. But it couldn't take care of it permanently. It could never take care of it permanently. This covenant that we're in today is the highest realization that we have of God. In each covenant, we find that He is revealing more and more of Himself to us. More of His character, more of who He is, how He operates, We don't see a lot of that under the Edemic Covenant. We see that it's going to take the shedding of blood to cover sin. We see that he requires the sacrifice to relate to him. But that's really about it. That's all we see of God at that point. Then we get to the Edemic Covenant. We see quite a bit more that it's God's desire to to have a relationship and to bless His people. But He requires faithful obedience. Under the Mosaic Covenant, we see that kind of multiplied in many different examples. We see God's character because He's given us His law. We see different aspects of God through these different covenants. And so, These covenants help us to realize, step by step, who God is. And again, under this covenant, we have the fullest realization of who God is. These covenants serve to illustrate how God feels about his people. Before the Abrahamic Covenant, he, he established covenants with the world in general. At the Abrahamic Covenant, forward, he was separating a people out from a sinful and wicked world. He would no longer deal with the world at large. He would deal with a set-apart people, a sanctified people. And through that people, he would interact with the rest of the world. We see that more clearly under the Mosaic Covenant. Their laws of separation, their laws of sanctification, clean and unclean. And today, we are a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are the set-apart ones. We are the separated ones who have been called out of a sinful, wicked world to shine the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been called, quite literally, to reflect the character and persona of God to this world. We are filled with His Spirit. We have been given His name. We have everything that we need. We have exceeding good and precious promises that cause us to stumble because they are so good. Understanding who God is is important, understanding the God that we serve is vital. Because we are called to reflect Him. We are called to demonstrate Him to this world. When God established a covenant with us, when we entered into a covenant relationship with God, we took on some responsibilities. We gain a whole lot more privileges. But we do have some responsibilities under this covenant. One of those is to accurately reflect Him, to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. When people look at us, when people hear us speak, when they they see the decisions that we make, they need to be seeing Him. We are not our own anymore. We represent someone else now. We represent Jesus Christ. And everything we do and everything we say represents Him in some way, good or bad. (coughs) We need to to represent Him well. We need to represent Him effectually. And by representing, I don't just mean telling people, although we do tell people. We also need to show them. We need to demonstrate Him by the way that we live, the way that we talk, the things that we do and don't do. All of these things serve to illustrate to others who have not yet been called out. This God that we serve. This awesome God that we serve. So next week, we're going to sum everything up, and we're going to look at the New Covenant. We're going to see how the New Covenant is superior in every conceivable way to all of the other covenants. What was fulfilled, what was abolished, New things added. Jesus Christ is the total summation of all the previous covenants rolled up together. He fulfills all of them. He completes all of them. And as such, we are fulfilled and complete in Him. Amen. God bless all of you. We're going to take about a 15, 20-minute break, and we'll be back at 10.30 for the remainder of our service. Amen. Thank you all. God bless you.